Hi, and welcome to Silenced, discussing censorship and fandom. With me, your host, Hilary Hensley. Today we have a very special interview with someone from the Organization of Transformative Works. The Organization of Transformative Works is over archive of our own, which of course is very important for fan fiction. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, this is Hillary. So I've mentioned in the beginning that we have a very special guest today, an interview with somebody from the Organization of Transformative Works. Her name is Claudia Rabaza. She is the OTW communications staffer. She's a former academic reference librarian, and she has a PhD in library and information science. So we want to give a big welcome to her and thank her for joining our show today. All right, so hello, Claudia. And uh, could you tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, why you decided to become a part of the OTW? Sure. Um, so I am a staffer for the communications committee uh, at the OTW. Um, I started with them in January of 2011, so it's been quite a while now. Um, and uh, the way I came to the OTW was uh, perhaps a little bit different. Um, just because uh, I was uh, originally on LiveJournal um, working on a fandom-related dissertation while the OTW was being formed. And at the time, I was rather too distracted to volunteer. Um, plus, I think it took a while to grasp the scope of what the OTW was evolving into. Um, so it wasn't until after I finished my degree and was job hunting that I decided to spend some time volunteering. And by then the archive had opened and all the projects were up and running. Um, and I started in the tag wrangling committee, uh, which works with uh, content on the archive. Uh, but I ended up being moved over to communications at the end of that year. And uh, then I served as that committee's chair for four years. And it's been a great experience in many ways, though perhaps not so great from a frameworks productivity angle because it ended up taking a good deal of time. <laughs> So uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how the OTD, OTW was founded, it's specifically AO3, why it was founded? I know it has something sure. to do with the uh, live journal purges of 2007. Uh, it did. Um, so like you said, before the, the archive or the AO3 came along, um, its parent organization was founded in 2007. And the Organization for Transformative Works, which is also known as the OTW, uh, runs the AO3 and its sister projects. And it was founded in response to various developments at the time which affected fans. And these included um, the commercialization of fan works uh, through sites such as FanLib, um, censorship and control issues such as Strike Through and Bold Through, which happened at LiveJournal, and gender imbalance issues in fandom research, professional publishing, and news media coverage. So um, along with those issues, some of the central problems to be overcome at the time included taking a stand on the legal status of fan works and the way the rapid development of the internet meant that locations where fans um, gathered and created were often short-term and cared nothing for the continued existence of their hosted content. 
Um, so this meant creating a legal entity to host and defend and speak to outside entities about fan works and fandoms, which is what the OTW is. And once that was in place, we could begin creating an archive that was fan-owned and fan-designed to better serve fan activities. So I know that the uh, live journal strike through kind of happened because of content of uh, like fic on the site. And I was wondering why AO3 decided to be all inclusive when it comes to the fic content that it hosts, because I know there's a lot, a lot of aunties that are against the uh, fic content that's allowed. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, the censorship issues have been something that have gone on internally in fandom and externally from outside forces for really a very long time. I mean, I'm sure since it started. Um, the, the main, uh, well, not the main one, I should say perhaps, but the, um, certainly the instigating factor, um, that happened was actually commercial, uh, commercial issues. Um, yeah. I mentioned that there was a company called FanLib before, and, uh, these two things actually happened very close together because they happened within a year's time. And, um, but that was the first thing that started getting people talking about, the need to actually do something in a formal way. And what FanLib was, is they were, um, it was uh, basically this team of people who had existing software that they'd been using for different things. And for some reason, at one point, they decided that they were going to um, create an archive for fan fiction. Um, but they were very tied into um, commercial projects. So they wanted, for example, to run contests where fans could write stories that would then either be made part of in some way or have a little scene or something like that in a episode of a TV show or, you know, something else where they could get prizes and so on for writing fan fiction, authorized fan fiction, basically. Um, and uh, a lot of fans uh, who worked on LiveJournal um, were very concerned by this sort of commercial creep into fan fiction and the way that fan writers could be exploited. So um, we started this basically from that standpoint. But then, as you mentioned, uh, strike through happened on Live Journal, which was in fact a censorship issue. Um, and that was where basically a group of outside protesters um, claiming that Live Journal was hosting. Um, uh, explicit underage works and things like that, um, uh, complained to the site and was going to target its advertisers. And so LiveJournal, basically without really investigating or creating any kind of policy or system, just started deleting works that were coming up as a result of um, tag searches on the site. And uh, so it swept up a whole bunch of stuff, you know, much of it uh, and relating to fandom. And, uh, you know, people were outraged about this. And um, that also, you know, tied together with the commercial issues really got things going in terms of people saying, you know, we need a space that we ourselves can control. And that's actually designed for fans and that isn't going to suddenly, you know, uh, mass delete works just because somebody complains. Um, so there were, you know, um, a lot of philosophical as well as practical reasons um, for being inclusive, um, because the kind of fic that AO3 hosts is basically every kind. Yes. <laughs> um, the first sentence in our terms of service is, our goal is maximum inclusiveness of content. 
And the site was created for all kinds of fan works, not just fan fiction. Um, for example, nonfiction fan works like Meta also exist there. And what's limiting right now are technical and financial uh, reasons uh, in terms of what we can directly host. Um, so while things like podfic and fan videos and fan art and images of fan crafts uh, need to be hosted somewhere else, they can all be shared and searched for through the archive. Um, so basically, you know, it's, it's very, very open. Um, and, you know, all kinds of fan works have always been under threat, you know, like I said, not just from censorship efforts, but even more broadly from just mass deletion. Um, because as sites have gone away or they've changed their purpose or their hosting policies, vast quantities of work have just disappeared. And they've generally taken their fan communities with them because people get scattered. Um, so if we were going to be a site focused on preservation, and if you look at all of the OTW projects, you can see this common thread, um, then we needed to be open to all works. Um, and in addition, the people who volunteered to create the OTW, both in its early days as well as those who are here now, um, come from all sorts of different fan communities centered around a variety of different kinds of works. So the AO3 simply reflects the people who built it. Um, also being a site that hosts contents for all fandoms, all genres, all ratings, all languages, um, is of great benefit to the fans that want to host content on it because it makes it very simple for them to archive all of their work. Um, the space that the OTW came out of, the live journal fan communities, uh, was very fragmented. So you'd have different communities or small fan archives for everything. Um, fandoms, characters, pairings, formats of work, styles of work. Um, so if you created only one type of thing, then that kept things simpler. But otherwise, you'd have to post in a variety of different places to get your work in front of an audience. And, you know, that meant that chances are stuff would get lost because it's being hosted in all of these tiny different places, right? Um, but uh, otherwise, um, you know, earlier spaces like mailing lists and news groups, um, they also tended to have narrow restrictions for content. So it wasn't something that just came along during the era of, you know, blogging platforms. Um, so there were relatively few multi-fandom spaces where you could put a wide variety of content in one place um, prior to 2007. So AO3 ends up being a benefit both for people looking for work as well as people looking for a safe space to put their work in. So what's the, what's the difference between y'all and like fanfiction.net, which is also like all-inclusive uh, with, with ships and uh, fandoms? Um, well, it is and it isn't. Um, Fanfiction.net came along a lot earlier than we did. In fact, it came along 10 years earlier. I'm pretty sure that they were started in 1997. Um, and, you know, and they're also commercial, so it's not a, they're not a nonprofit. Yes. Um, but they have also had a variety of purges over the years um, because since they're a commercial site, um, you know, they have like no philosophical stand in terms of the preservation of fan works. And so they've changed their policies over the years. There's been a lot of, um, you know, for example, explicit work has been banned on the site for a long time. And, and like I said, there have been periodic purges of content over the years. Um, they also don't ex uh, allow other things for I don't know what reason. I mean, uh, songfic is one thing that they don't allow, and that you know has, definitely has a copyright angle to it. Um, 
because a lot of times people are basically posting entire song lyrics, which is, you know, is blocked by copyright. Um, but, uh, you know, but you can write song fic in other ways, but they just ban the whole thing, you know, regardless of the actual content. Uh, you also can't write in script format <laughs> for some okay. reason. Uh, again, I'm, I don't know why, but you can't. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, also, uh, I shouldn't say that necessarily that there is a ban on slash, but, you know, it's, um, it's, it's much more restrictive in terms of the types of content you, you can have there. Um, and there's, you know, no way of going through a team or an appeals process or so forth for your work if it actually does get taken down. Um, and, oh, and they also uh, will not host content from authors or other creators who have said that they object to fan fiction. Okay. So even if they, those authors changed their mind, as far as I know, you can't suddenly start posting their works on fanfiction.net. So um, it is definitely, though, a very large multi-fandom archive. In fact, um, I think at the time that we came around, there were maybe three or four other major sites besides them. There was also uh, asianfanfiction.net. There was adultfanfiction.net. Um, and so there were, you know, some, you know, large multi-fandom archives. But for the most part, you tended to have more single-fandom archives. For example, um, the X-Files had a, a early archive called the Gossamer Project that was, you know, had thousands and thousands of fix there. And it's still going as far as I know. Um, you know, and then you had a number of them in Harry Potter fandom as well, you know, Leaky Cauldron, Sugar Quill, et cetera. Um, so there were, you know, certainly a lot of large archives, um, but the large multi-fandom archives that tended to include everything was, I mean, there, I don't think there really was any. Yeah. So uh, hitting on, like, let's say an author has huge objections to fan content created of their original content. What happens if, if in a situation like that, they approach AO3 and demand that this fic is taken down because of copyright violation? Well, um, it, you know, we do actually get them on occasion. Um, so if somebody files a takedown via the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, better known as the DMCA, or contacts with us with a cease and desist, um, basically all things go through our policy and abuse committee. And if it happens to be a legal challenge like that, then it gets passed on to our legal advocacy team who will investigate and respond to it. Now, um, they're our only project that serves both the internal needs of our organization as well as engaging in outside work, such as court cases, legislative hearings, et cetera. Um, now, if our legal team determines that the work is in violation of our terms of service, which does follow U.S. copyright law, um, then the poster is going to be contacted about the violation, just as they would for other kinds of violations that aren't connected to copyright. Um, and so then that process would start uh, in terms of... Uh, they might have to change something that they posted. They might have to take the whole thing down. It just kind of depends on, you know, what the nature of it is. Or, you know, if it's basically somebody objecting to the fact that somebody wrote fan fiction, you know, which is which which does not violate copyright, which falls under fair use, then, you know, that's basically what our legal committee would respond. Um, and it doesn't get taken down. Um, so the, the thing is though, that we don't actually get the details of those, um, 
uh, reports or processes, um, we'll hear about it from time to time. Uh, in fact, our newsletter, which has not yet come out, but um, I've seen the draft. <laughs> um, our newsletter from May reflects some recent requests that legal worked on last month, um, but they never dis- discussed the specifics because any case that's reported to our policy and abuse committee, whether legal works on it or not, uh, are confidential. And so the only people who know the details of those cases are the people in that committee. Nobody else does, not even the board. Okay. So if a fic were to be taken down, uh would the author be notified or allowed to save it before it was before that happened, or would they just lose the fic? Oh no, they definitely get notified. Um, so the way that this works is um, the policy and abuse team uh, or PAC um, handles reports about works on the archive. Um, but the thing is, we don't pre-screen content that's uploaded. Uh, nor does anyone survey the site for compliance to our terms of service. Uh, So they respond to works or behavior being reported to them. And there are a number of reasons why a work might get removed. Um, And they fall into the following. For example, it could be spam. Uh, It could include commercial promotion. Uh, Somebody could be threatening the site by hacking or spreading a virus. Um, There could be copyright violations. Um, There's plagiarism. Uh, Someone releasing personal information, you know, they're doxing someone. Um, Harassment. Uh, illegal or non-fan work content, uh, or misuse of the ratings and warnings features. Um, So we have a frequently asked questions page that answers additional questions about these issues. And that can be found at our terms of service link, um, which we connect to at the bottom of every page on the archive. It's part of our footer. Um, But those are the various categories that could lead to an item being deleted. Uh, Regarding removal, the PAC team first identifies the nature of the problem and then notifies the poster. Uh, And it'll include a deadline for voluntary removal of the content. And if the original poster doesn't remove the content within the deadline, then PAC will remove the content. Um, Now, there are some cases where content might be removed immediately without waiting for a response. For example, if we're contacted by a legitimate law enforcement agency about something, or if we determine that the content is threatening to an individual, Uh, or reveals an individual's personal information without consent, um, we'll do that. But in those cases, we'll still inform the original poster as soon as possible. And the original poster will then have the option to resubmit the post with the violating content removed. So overall, people can fix violations without content ever being deleted. Um, So for example, it could be that uh, someone is trying to profit from the work by linking to an outside account where people can donate to them or they may have posted only part of a work with the rest linked to on a pay site, for example. Um, In those cases, people can simply remove the outside links or post the entire work at the archive in order to be in compliance. Um, So the cases where something would be removed immediately without anybody being uh, contacted be very rare. Okay. Uh, You mentioned before that one of the differences between y'all and fanfiction.net was that y'all are a nonprofit. And I wanted to know why the OTW decided to start as a nonprofit. Um, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, basically, it's both practical and philosophical. Um, so the OTW wanted to contribute to a future uh, in which all fanish works are recognized as legal and transformative and they're accepted as a legitimate creative activity. 
Uh, in the U.S., um, the fair use doctrine applies to fan works. And a legal opinion on the status of a work would thus take a number of factors into consideration, uh, one of which is whether or not the work is non-commercial. Um, giving away a work for free without expectation of financial benefit is how non-commercial is defined. And non-commercial uses are particularly favored in fair use decisions. Uh, but we intended to be proactive in protecting and defending our work from commercial exploitation as well as legal challenge. So if you're an entity that relies on advertisers or sponsorship or some outside element to provide your financing, then you're beholden to those forces. And we wanted to be accountable only to the fan communities that supported us. Uh, we're by fans and for fans, and we didn't want to create barriers to use or be a corporation that served up fans to someone else for profit. So that feeds into the larger reason, which is that the founders of the OTW believe strongly in the non-commercial nature of fandom generally, and of fan communities employing a gift economy. And fandom is a collective of creating based on what individual fans want to do, and not on the regulations of a market. Um, it's simply a nonprofit mentality. And the OTW is 13 years old now, and we've been supported by donations ever since we started. So what happens with the donation drives? How do y'all do that? Um, I'm not quite sure. How, how do we do a donation drive or yeah. when do we do uh, it? Or? You, you do it twice a year, correct? That's right. Yes, we've been doing them twice a year since uh, 2008. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Now, um, you can donate to us year round. I mean, you don't have to donate during the drive. I mean, we're open to donations whenever you like. But those are the two times where, you know, we basically remind people <laughs> that we survive on donations. And yes. um, you can also actually, besides uh, donating during a drive, you can also um, set up a recurring monthly donation, which a lot of people okay. are doing now, which is very helpful to us. Because, you know, the, the drives have definitely become more successful over time as we've grown. But, um, you know, it's always very... Um, it's always an unknown. You know, we never know how we're going to do. For example, like this last time, we were really very surprised by the results of the donation drive, our last one, which is they're always in April and October. And, um, you know, we had set a goal of about $130,000 for the, um, you know, for the goal of the drive. And we thought, well, you know, we'll see because, uh, you know, I mean, obviously with the pandemic going on and a lot of people out of work and a lot of people in very uncertain situations. Um, you know, we didn't actually think it was going to be a very, you know, we, were, we didn't think we were going to get a lot of money at this particular drive. So, you know, we set the bar low and we thought, well, let's hope we, you know, can make that. And it ended up being the largest drive result we've ever had, which was really surprising. I mean, we went well past the 130,000. I think it was like 400,000 that we ended up raising. And yeah, I um, actually, actually saw that happening. And I was like, wow. That's yeah, really I mean, it, it, <laughs> it took everybody by surprise. I mean, we, like I said, it, the, the, the whole thing is that, you know, we can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, that was a very happy outcome. But, you know, we have definitely done drives in the past where we did not raise as much money as we had hoped or that really that we needed. And um, so it's like, you know, when when people do the monthly donation, that's always very helpful because then, you know, we know we're going to be getting some money every month, which is very useful. Um, and like I said, the, the recent donation drives have done very well. But I mean, when we first started out, I mean, we 
you know, wouldn't even make $20,000 for a drive. And so that obviously affects the pace at which we can grow and the things that we can do. And, and it definitely, you know, um, kind of set the bar in terms of uncertainty, you know, it's like, well, next time, how much money are we going to get and how are we going to be able to keep going? But, um, you know, it's, it's worked out for us so far, which is wonderful. It, it is. Uh, besides the O3, what does the OTW do? What, what fall Elks falls under the umbrella? I am so glad you asked <laughs> because it is quite a lot. And most of them preceded the launch of the archive, actually. I mean, they were all conceived together, but in terms of getting them up and running, you know, most of them um, happened before the archive was able to actually open to the public. Um, now, I mentioned earlier our legal advocacy team, uh, which was the first of our projects. Um, and it works both on its own and with other nonprofit entities to um, file documents relating to copyright and intellectual property issues around the world. And that way, fan voices can be represented in discussions and not just commercial proposals. Um, although we work mostly on U.S. legal matters, um, our legal committee has also submitted position papers to various other governments, and they filed a number of amicus briefs in U.S. court cases. And access to all the filings, you know, whatever type they are, can be found on their project page at our website, uh, which is at transformativeworks.org. Um, and perhaps the best known of their work has involved, it was the very first case they took on, um, and involved obtaining exemption rulings for fan video creation from the U.S. Copyright Office. Um, now, creating fan videos themselves can be considered fair use, but breaking encryption on DVDs or downloads, et cetera, to make them without an exemption would still be prohibited under the DMCA. And the OOTW has succeeded in obtaining an exemption four times since 2008. But unfortunately, given the way that the DMCA was set up, our legal team has to present this case repeatedly every three years uh, in order to maintain that. And we and our partner organizations, such as the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Public Knowledge, want to see those procedures changed so that we can allow these exemptions to exist on a permanent basis without having to constantly re-argue for them and fight the same fight constantly. Because, I mean, at three years sounds like a long time, but when you have to prepare for these things a year in advance, it's really not that long. Um, now, on the academic side, uh, we have Transformative Works and Cultures, uh, which is a peer-reviewed academic journal, and it's published uh, two to three issues every year since 2008. And its aim is to both um, provide a publishing outlet that welcomes fan-related topics uh, and also promotes dialogue between the academic community and the fan community. And it does this by soliciting and publishing fan essays in a section of the journal called Symposium. Uh, so by publishing academic articles about fans and the creation of transformative fan works and the various fan communities uh, that create and engage with these fan works, uh, TWC legitimizes fan creativity as worthy of serious study by academics and fans and others. It's not the only um, journal out there focused on fan studies, but, you know, it is one of the few. Um, and, you know, and it's had that as an ex its exclusive focus, you know, on transformative fandom uh, since the beginning. 
now, TWC doesn't preserve fan works per se, um, but it does link to various artworks and videos, et cetera. And they do print screenshots of and quote fan fiction and fan remarks. But by publishing articles on fan-related topics, um, we preserve the traces of those fan community and fan engagements. And TWC promotes fan works by publishing articles about them, uh, including close readings of fan texts. And it also promotes fan culture by publishing first and third-person accounts of those cultures and placing these into a larger scheme of historical or literary or textual discourse. And um, in another way of connecting fans to academic study, we have an academic blog uh, called Fan Hackers. And one of its main missions is to connect fans to academic work that's being done about them. That's their exclusive focus. Um, another project is our Fandom History Wiki Fan Lore, uh, which came about because when online platforms come and go, they don't just erase the fan works hosted on them, but all the communities and the discussions that were part of many fandoms. And there are also all sorts of in-person events uh, that took place that may not have any lasting or centralized online records. So fan lore has an important historical component in providing information about fans, uh, communities, fandoms, fan works, events, and, and terminology. Um, so in describing the difference between fan lore and, say, most fandom wikis, of which there are many, um, it's that fan lore is about the fans and what they're doing rather than the canon. Um, and fan lore can be used as a source of information for fans who are trying out a new fandom. They want to know about, you know, what are the communities, what are the major fan works, are there gatherings related to that fandom? Um, and it's also a useful source for academics and the news media who want to find a source to cite or who want the definition of some fanish term. And fan lore has been cited hundreds of times in those sorts of works. Um, and they haven't always been about fandom topics either. Um, for example, I think it was in 2014, there was a media article about trigger warnings. And it utilized information recorded in fan lore about early debates on the issue that took place in fandom. Um, and finally, our Open Doors project is directly focused on preservation issues. And it connects fans to our partner, the Special Collections Libraries at the University of Iowa. Um, they're who we work with when fans have physical items that they want to donate for preservation. Um, but Open Doors also imports um, at-risk digital archives into the archive of our own. And once that's done, they can either remain there as closed collections or they can keep going as ongoing archives. Just, uh, you know, they don't have to be... Uh, um, a lot of times when these, these archives are at risk, the reason is because either sometimes, you know, the moderator or owner is just no longer interested or no longer able to keep it up, um, in which case they'll often move to the archive as a closed collection. Uh, but if they do, and it's simply just that they, you know, um, are overwhelmed by the work of having to maintain the site or, you know, pay for the site because, you know, after all, these things do have to be paid for by somebody. Um, you know, that way they can move them onto the archive and continue that work without having that to maintain the infrastructure, you know, and the expense of it. Okay. Uh, you mentioned trigger warnings, and I've seen this a lot on Tumblr, but what is the tag policy of Archive of Rome when you're tagging something? And when would uh, a fic be determined in violation of those policies? 
Um, so we do have some policies about tagging um, on the archive, although it doesn't tend to be, um, you know, all the kinds of tags that are used. It does tend to apply mainly to four things, uh, one of which, as you mentioned, is warnings. Um, so the four things are basically ratings, warnings, language, and fandoms. Um, so the first two are part of our default categories. When you upload a work, you have to choose a rating and you have to also um, look at whether or not the content you have um, requires a warning. Um, now, we don't require that every work use these specific ratings or warnings, but uh, if a creator chooses not to use the ratings or warnings we offer on one of their works, then they have to select the choose not to warn option. So just to explain the difference between ratings and warnings, um, the archive uses the following ratings, uh, ranging from general audiences, teen and up, mature, explicit, and not rated. Um, and I think most people are accustomed to that kind of rating system. And as a rule, the creator controls the rating. But if there's a complaint, the policy and abuse team may decide that a general or a teen rating is misleading. And in those cases, the creator may be required to change the rating. And if the creator declines or fails to respond, then the team may hide the work or they may reset the rating to not rated. But they won't just add another rating. However, the effect of fan works that are labeled not rated is that they'll be treated in searches and filtering and other archive functions as if they were explicit rated works. So just like with those ratings, if a user doesn't have an account or if they're not logged in, they'll have to click through a screen warning that they may be accessing mature content. Um, but the archive warnings uh, relate to something more unique. So specific content such as uh, major character death, non-consensual sex, uh, graphic depictions of violence, or underage sexual activity have to be warned for. Again, but creators can use other options, which is either the choose not to use archive warnings, or they can say none of these warnings apply. Um, so if they select the choose not to use archive warnings, then that means that if somebody you know complains about the content, our policy and abuse committee will not proceed with that complaint that the author failed to warn for the content. Um, now, if the PAC team receives a failure to warn complaint in other circumstances, they may decide that the absence of one of the other warnings is, again, misleading. So the creator may be asked to add a warning or to select the choose not to warn option. And again, if the creator declines to do that or if they fail to respond to our emails, then the team may hide the work or set the warning to indicate the creator has chosen not to warn. Um, but, you know, they don't get removed for that reason. Um, the main concern here is whether there's a repeated pattern for a single user, uh, in which case that could be treated as a grounds for a suspension. So if a creator unilaterally reverses a recategorization that the PAC team has made uh, and they haven't gotten a prior agreement with them on that, then changing that warning or rating will be tre treated as a grounds for a suspension. Um, so it's our policy to defer to the creator's categorizations, but we also reserve the right to recategorize a fan work. Um, and it might be because of type. For example, is it fiction, nonfiction, video, audio, um, or the language that the work is in? For example, they say it's in English, but it's not actually an English language work. Um, or uh, tags for which fandom the work actually belongs to. So a manual recategorization or removal of a tag does not 
result in a suspension of a user's account. Unless again, it's just this, a repeated pattern for a single user. Okay. So if someone uh, were to go into a fic and started like putting abusive comments uh, in the comments section, what could be done about that? Okay, so um, that would fall into our harassment policy. And we define harassment as any behavior that produces a generally hostile environment for its target. And this can include activities such as bullying and hazing by groups, uh, as well as personal attacks by individuals. Now, we first encourage individual users to try and resolve problems on their own before contacting PAC, um, especially since not everyone agrees about what is considered offensive or unacceptable. Um, but if harassment is determined to have occurred, um, then users engaging in this behavior may be warned or suspended or permanently suspended. Um, the policy and abuse team may issue warnings when it determines that a violation of terms of service was minor or unintentional, whereas more serious, intentional, or repeated violations of the terms of service will trigger suspensions. And a suspension is generally for a defined period of time, like a month. Um, the team might also permanently suspend users uh, when it determines that such actions justified. Um, the most common reason is that we get a lot of spammers uh, attempting to use the site for marketing. So that's just an automatic account deletion. Um, but permanent suspensions for violations other than spam uh, might include someone who violated our age policy, uh, which is not unique to the archive. It's a common policy across online sites due to U.S. law. Um, or they threaten the technical integrity of the site. Um, and permanent, suspension, permanent suspensions uh, require a majority vote of the team, and they'll be based on the nature of the violation and how the user responds to their contacts. Um, now, when judging whether a specific incident constitutes harassment, um, the team will consider factors such as whether the behavior was repeated, um, whether it was repeated after the offender was asked to stop, um, whether the behavior was targeted at a specific person, uh, whether that target could have easily avoided encountering the behavior, uh, whether the behavior would be considered unacceptable according to normal community standards, etc. Um, additionally, making complaints that are both repeated and baseless, um, particularly those targeting a specific user, uh, can be considered harassing behavior and may be deemed a violation of the terms of service. Um, so while these complaints are reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis, uh, in general, uh, threatening content will be considered harassment. Uh, while content that's merely annoying is allowed. Um, content that's harder to avoid, such as comments on the target's fan works, uh, will be judged more strictly than content that is easily avoidable, such as someone's story. Um, and we also, as we become aware of loopholes that people exploit for har harassment, and people can be very creative about these things, um, they, we try to close those off. Um, for example, in September of 2019, I was our most recent one, I'm sure, um, we made changes to how co-creators feature works because people were using that to harass other people by making them a party on posts that they didn't actually have anything to do with. Um, and we have also added features over the years that helps posters better control the visibility of their work, such as blocking it from search engines or uh, locking it to logged in users only. 
uh, blocking anonymous comments, or being able to moderate comments on their work so that it isn't visible. Um, so we do give people tools to help with harassment as, as we can. Um, but ultimately, the behavior of the complaint subjects uh, may also affect the team's determination. So if the original poster repeatedly contacts someone after being told to stop, uh, that harasses that person or requests that other people harass them, then their content may be considered part of a general pattern of harassment and it'll be removed. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I think that is all I needed about OTW and the AO3, but I am curious about how you got into fandom personally. Okay, well, um, actually, that's it's almost hard to say <laughs> um, because I was always a, a fanish person since I was very young. I just had a very fanish approach to content and you know things that I enjoyed. Um, I just didn't know about fandoms until I was around 11. And that was when I became involved with Star Trek fandom. And I went to my first convention a year later. Um, and I bumped around several other fandoms after that. Um, and then I got into online fandom around 2002 when I was a fan of the Buffyverse. Um, but oh, the too. fandom. Oh, you I'm too, Buffy. really? Yeah, I'm a Buffy fan. <laughs> uh, was it also so. on LiveJournal? Uh, no, I did like little archives. Uh, I'm, I'm a Spuffy shipper, and there were uh, like all uh -huh. these archives, Spuffy shippers. Uh, one was like Spuffy Lover, and there was a few that were a couple of different ones. But yes, that's why I started in fandom as well. Yeah. Online. <laughs> so. Well, well, you're lucky because you know there are still some Spuffy uh, um, archives out there. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Oh. I can try and tell you after we finish recording, but but there is one that is still going very strong, um, and uh, they have because uh, um, I I also um, uh, am involved in uh, moderating a community. Uh, it's still on Live Journal. It's also on Dreamwith, um, and in fact, this coming year it's going to expand to Twitter. Um, but it's for it's a Buffy Rex community. Um, and so, uh, we always get a bunch of recs for, for content that's hosted there. Um, and it's just escaping me what the name is, but I'll, I'll look it up for you. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, you know, fandoms had quite a large impact on my life. Um, you know, the last two decades in particular. Um, but I think it was always a gateway to other things. Um, for example, early in life, I think it provided not just a channel for my enthusiasm, but also a connection to learning about new things. Um, for example, my first favorite series of books were Nancy Drew Mysteries. And there were always all sorts of new subjects introduced in that. You know, Nancy was always traveling and taking up new skills and stuff like that. So every, every book you read was basically something new you were being introduced to. Um, but I think that many a fan fiction writer um, has also uh, learned a lot of new things when they're researching stuff that they want to include in the story. You know, I've read many comments, many notes sections. In fact, sometimes uh, there's like a whole bibliography that some uh, fan authors will include at the end of their works, you know, talking about the stuff that's been referenced in the fan uh, story. Um, plus, you know, I always, I, I made friends, you know, I still have today uh, through our shared fandom and something. So that, you know, is always a, a big legacy for, from fan activities. Um, plus, you know, fandom led me to the OTW where 
I've also learned, you know, various new skills in my time volunteering and um, where I've been able to bring past work experience together and doing things in my roles. Um, and I spend time every day in fandom spaces uh, reading about, you know, what people are enthusiastic about, what they thought of a show or a movie, um, what fandom event they're taking part in, um, or just, you know, getting news about uh, particular fandoms. So, you know, although I'm in entertainment fandoms, I say being in fandom itself is my main entertainment. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely a lifetime of it. Okay. Oh, thank you so much for uh, sharing with me. I'm going to stop the recording, so. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. So again, Claudia, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Really appreciate having you on here. So I have an announcement. I hope you all enjoyed the interview, by the way. But I have an announcement. For uh for this podcast, I would like to do a bingo or prompt list on Tumblr for things that aunties are totally against. These might be very, very controversial prompts, bingo lists, whatever I decide to do. I will make a post about it on the Silence Fandom Tumblr page. So go look at that. Yes. Uh, I will probably make it a little open, whatever you want to do. I have a list of 30, 31 prompts. And if y'all are interested in doing it, let's do this. This means no censorships, anti-censorship list. And these are things that have to do with what aunties hate. And if you want to make a suggestion, I can may replace a prompt with one. Or we can continuously add prompts, whatever you want to do. So check for silence, fandom for the rules. I got to say there aren't many. <laughs> And uh, what I'm thinking about for the rules anyway, and what I'm thinking about for this idea. If you have ideas to add to it, please send me a message on Tumblr. I'm very open to your ideas. You can find Silence Fandom on Twitter, on, uh, excuse me, Tumblr, Pillowfort, but I'm not very active there, and Instagram. You can find me on my own personal Twitter at Hillary Hensley. And of course, the uh, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pillowfort is Silenced Fandom. S-I-L-E-N-C-E-D, Fandom. You can also listen to this podcast on any of your major platforms, Spotify, Anchor.fm, uh, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you listen to your podcast, feel free to listen to this podcast. Also, you can check out my website for this podcast again at silencedfandom.com and the most the all the podcast episodes will be on there for downloading or listening so again thank you so much for listening to the episode and i hope you'll continue to listen new episode will be up in two weeks every two weeks on saturday so thank you again bye